Hello, friends. This is Eddie, host of The New Activist. I am thrilled to bring you this re-released episode from season one. This is a conversation that I was privileged to have with Hannah Song. It originally aired November 2nd, 2016. The New Activist is brought to you today and every day by International Justice Mission. IJM is working to end slavery in our lifetime and won't stop until all are free. If you could please go to newactivist.is forward slash IJM, newactivistisijm, and put your name on the line. It would be tremendously, tremendously helpful. Newactivist.is forward slash IJM. Thank you. Here is my conversation with Hannah Song. This is Hannah Song. She knows a lot about North Korea and is going to teach us a bit about that. She cares a lot about refugees, and she is the president and CEO of an organization called Liberty in North Korea. So Liberty in North Korea, uh, we are an international NGO, but a better way of putting it is really that we're a global movement of people uh, that believe in and work alongside the North Korean people to accelerate change. Um, and opening in really the world's most closed country today. And our efforts tend to focus in two main strategic areas. We work directly with North Korean refugees first, and second is we work to change the way the world sees North Korea. So what that means uh, from, I guess, a program perspective is our refugee work is really divided into two areas. One is actual refugee rescues. Um, We are helping to find North Korean refugees that are in China uh, and through our networks will actually help them to safely leave China through a sort of modern day underground railroad all Mm. the way through to Southeast Asia. And that's about a 3000 mile journey. Um, It can be up to a 3000 mile journey. And that's, you know, longer than the distance between New York and LA. Uh, And this journey is not easy by any means. Um, The Chinese government does not recognize North Koreans as refugees. They instead see them just as illegal uh, migrants in the country. And so they feel justified in actually seeking them out and arresting them and then forcibly sending them back to North Korea where they could face very severe punishment because they had left the country illegally. Uh, And the second part of the work that we do uh, in terms of changing the way the world sees North Korea is really just because with North Korea, as we all know, there is a major narrative problem. And, you know, especially when we look at the global mainstream media, North Korea has been really narrowly defined as sort of crazy Kims and nukes, you could Mm -hmm, say. mm -hmm. And this, frankly, has really caused a deficit of support for the North Korean people. Well, this is The New Activist, episode 008 with Hannah Song. My name is Eddie. And I am one of the hosts of this show, and it is an honor to be here with you this week. You know, I conducted this interview with Hannah, and she was such a joy to speak to. But I was also a little bit embarrassed because even despite me doing the research and doing my due diligence to prepare for our time together, there were still some basic things that I did not know about North Korea, about what is happening there, much less why 
an organization like Liberty in North Korea would exist. And I think like many people, maybe not you, but like a lot of people, the picture I have of North Korea comes from a movie. The interview? Yeah, that is really, really embarrassing, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, but that's exactly what I think of. So can you tell me what, I mean, to, I know it's hard to put too fine a point on it, but what is North <laughs> Korea like? So, (laughs) (laughs) tell me about an entire country, please. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) So, you know, I think everyone is very familiar for the most part of North Korea. They've heard of it. Um, And we believe that North Korea represents really one of the biggest challenges facing humanity today, Uh, really beyond the kind of issues of the high politics, like the the regime and the security and nuclear issues. Um, North Korea is also widely recognized as one of the worst perpetrators of human rights violations in the world. Um, It's one of the most repressive and closed countries. I mean, it's so closed and many people might not realize this, but uh, this is a place where for decades, the government has successfully been able to try to deny any form of political or economic freedom, and really even just the most basic rights of free speech, free movement, and information freedom. And so what that means is that there is no internet in North Korea. Uh, I mean, with the the exception of a few select elite um, North Koreans, Um, The everyday North Korean person, and we're talking a country here of 25 million people, Um, this is a country where uh, the government really tries to create um, complete control of its citizens through this system of extreme fear and punishment, Mm. um, oppression, and really extreme indoctrination. Um, And so, you know, I think the interesting issues that are really important to bring to the forefront are really to help people to understand actually how close this country really is. Um, what are some of these incredible challenges that the North Korean people do face inside of this country from the vast human rights um, violations um, really through to just basic um, social challenges um, in terms of the North Korean people, young North Koreans especially, not being able to live in a society where they have um, uh, access to information and technology and really knowledge of the outside world to a certain extent. Can you give me a sense of the human rights violations that you speak of? So, um, you know, there's... Let me start with first the UN um, commissioned a report and it was published two years ago and it was a commission of inquiry on the human rights um, on human rights in North Korea and North Korea the North Korean government it was alleged was violating not only the human rights of its people but were committing crimes against humanity um, against their own people and what the commission um, essentially you know what it essentially um, you know, noted was that, and this is a direct quote really from this report, is that the gravity, scale, and nature of these violations reveal a state that does not have any parallel in the contemporary world. Wow. Why Why is this not, well, why are we not hearing about this more? Is it because it's just not that, that does, does Western media just not have access to this? Why is this not on the top of every news story? 
Absolutely. Um, journalists are not able to go into North Korea. Um, they're not able to go into these political prison camps, um, for example, in North Korea. Mm. And, and, you know, these political prison camps have also been utilized by the government in order to, you know, maintain extreme fear in the North Korean people. Um, these camps, uh, there's estimated to be about 80,000 to 120,000 North Korean citizens in there today. And, you know, again, these are political prison camps. And so the um, they've they're very comparable to the Soviet gulags and the Nazi concentration camps in terms of the treatment within these these camps, um, and and so and these are camps that again I think are unfathomable for us um, in terms of the the extreme level of brutality that exists inside. Mm. Do they know, like, do they know mm -hmm. how bad it is? I mean, I know that seems silly to say. Mm -hmm. um, because a human rights violation, there's a sense that like, oh, of course we know that, you know, this is against the laws of humanity. What mm -hmm. is happening to me shouldn't be happening to me. But mm -hmm. I'm curious if that's true. Or I'm curious if people just think this is, this is life. Yeah. You know, I, I think that this is, this is everyday life for the average North Korean person. And yeah. the ways in which the everyday North Korean person is probably experiencing most of this is really just in the restrictions that they face, their inability to speak freely or to, uh, you know, to be able to move around freely within the country and things mm -hmm. like that. But mm -hmm. the older generation would probably say no. They grew up mm -hmm. never knowing human rights or freedom, really what that meant. But an interesting thing is that this younger generation in North Korea, we call them the Changmadang generation. Um, and so Changmadang is the North Korean word for markets. Uh, so they're the market mm. generation. They're the equivalent of North Korean millennials. They grew up in the 80s and 90s. They never received a handout from the state. And so they have never really had a reason to be loyal to the state. And so their attitudes are very different. And these younger people, really, uh, even young people that have defected and we've talked to them, um, what they'll say is the difference was that for their parents, they grew up without knowing what these rights were, but being really repressed. But for their generation, they grew up being repressed, but knowing now what um, freedom was and what these things were because of kind of this slow increased awareness of the outside world, um, slow increased access to foreign media uh, and things like that. Mm. I'm curious how you intersected with Liberty in North Korea. So I, you know, I am Korean American and actually my grandmother was from North Korea, um, but growing up, she never talked about her life at all. Um, and, you know, it, it, strangely enough, it wasn't because of her that I became, we, I became interested in the issue or I even learned about it, but it was actually uh, after college, I read a book, um, it's called The Aquariums of Pyongyang, and it's about a young boy. And when he was nine years old, he and his entire family were put into this political prison camp. And they were there for 10 years. And this book documented what his life was like in this political prison camp. Um, and North Korea um, used to utilize a, a policy of where three generations of your family could be punished for the infraction of a single person. And so this young boy was punished because his grandfather had been accused of betraying the government. Wow. And, you know, this book was just so shocking. I was so shocked by what I was reading. And I really thought that this was something that was in the past 
And I think it really sparked something in me because I realized that um, oftentimes we read about history and we're outraged uh, and we're frustrated. And when we think about what would it have been like if we had lived in that time, would we have done something? Could we have done something? Um, and I think that this was the first time where I, I really um, felt so compelled um, and so passionate that I wanted to find something, even if it was so small and insignificant, um, to at least try to, to, to make an impact on this issue. Yeah, but that's interesting, though, when I hear that that was your reaction, because a lot of people read a lot of books that touch them, but they don't actually do anything. And, and, and it's, not, uh, it's not an indictment of people, but I mean, I've, yeah. I've done it before. I know about a lot of issues that I aren't, I'm not particularly involved in, but I'm like, mm-hmm. well, that's interesting. But, but can you explain what it is in you that, that didn't just settle with reading and knowing, but actually doing something? Were you always like that? Were you that, like that as a kid or was it just this moment? <laughs> you know, I mean, I've always been, um, I don't know. I mean, did you, did you always know you wanted to change the world? Did you ever? No, no, not at all. (laughs) (laughs) What'd you think you were going to do with your life? (laughs) Well, if you asked me that when I was 10, probably be a violinist, like every other good Asian child. (laughs) (laughs) Can you still play? Uh, I could. I just don't know if anyone would want to hear it. <laughs> right, right. Um, you know, I, to be honest, no, not by any means, nor did I ever think that I w- would be that person or could be that person at all. Uh, and frankly, even starting this work, I don't even think in doing this that that's really ever been sort of the like the motivator or even the kind of I don't know the the thing that kind of has has propelled me to keep doing the work. Um, I guess I've always just sort of been quick to action. Um, I, I don't like to just sit around. You know, when I was younger, I think I was always very active, very involved with a lot of clubs and school and things like that. So very active, but I mean, we won't say what my academic um, career looked like, but <laughs> I tended to be more interested in, I think, being part of different activities. So um, I guess to that end, um, I was never one to be shy to try to jump into something. Um, but, you know, and I'm the same. I, I've read a lot of books about a lot of issues, and it doesn't necessarily mean that it translates into an immediate action for me every time. Hmm. But for some reason on this issue, it really hit home for me. And I think it was, and to be honest, I think I tried to run away from it a little bit. Um, I was spending, um, I was working in corporate at that time, really loved my job, actually worked in advertising. Hmm. Um, and, you know, read this book and was like, uh, you know, if there's something I can do, I'd love to do it. Um, and it just kept following me. I couldn't forget about it. And, it just kind of randomly landed on um, talking with a friend one day and she said, hey, actually my friend, my childhood friend recently just started an organization working on North Korean human rights. And I said, oh my gosh, I would love to find out more. And it was very, very early days of the organization. And so just kind of jumped into volunteering at a benefit concert and handing out programs. And Again, it was such a simple action. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, yeah, of course, I'm realizing that this is not going to help an actual North Korean person on the ground. But uh, in some ways, maybe then it was more of uh, maybe it was a selfish thing, to be very honest. Really? You know, I, I think sometimes um, I, I, I don't know, um, but 
I think sometimes um, we want to respond and react and do things because maybe it makes us feel better. Maybe it made me feel better because I wanted to do something. I didn't know how to respond, but maybe it didn't. Um, and just because I guess it, it feels that way, I don't think it necessarily also discounts us from doing, uh, meaning that we shouldn't do something either. I'm wondering if there is any um, moment, image, thought, anything that is sort of inside you that propels you on a day-to-day basis because part of this is just work part of this is it's hard being it's got to be hard doing your job there's a lot of fundraising and things that are not necessarily glamorous but all are a part of doing this work of activism I'm wondering what what uh besides coffee what gets you out of the out of bed (laughs) in the morning and pushes you forward Mm. for me personally what that looks like um you know, I had mentioned that my grandmother was from North Korea. Um, she actually is still alive. Um, I was just out celebrating with my whole family um, in Chicago. She just turned 100, actually. Um, wow. Yeah. My goodness. Happy birthday. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure she loves this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, she is just incredible. I mean, clearly she's made it to a hundred and who knows, but you know, I always joke around that I, I joke around with her that she's waiting so that, you know, we can hurry up with this work so that she can finally go back. Hmm. And, and I only found out a few years ago that my grandmother had a, um, had left behind a husband and two children in North Korea. And so, you know, for me to learn that, I think, I know that I have family in North Korea. It's become a very personal issue. But more than that, many of the North Koreans that um, I've been able to meet and to work closely with have become like family to me and to uh, my colleagues. And when we talk to them and we just have a chance to share just our hopes and dreams for the future, um, I'm so encouraged by that. And um, one, one young North Korean, uh, Joseph, he's like a younger brother to me. Um, he oftentimes talks about, um, this pear tree that his father and him planted in their yard when he was young. And, you know, I always ask him, what's the first thing you want to do when North Korea opens and you go back? And he says, I want to go back to my house and I want to see if that pear tree is still there. Oh. And in my head, I just envision all of us there together. We're going back. We'll go to Joseph's house. We'll see if that pear tree is there. And, you know, when we talk to our North Korean friends and we just share these visions of the future, um, it's so hard to describe, but um, it, it makes me very, um, it makes me very hopeful and very emotional in the sense that it's so real in my head that I know that it, it will happen and I truly believe it'll be in our lifetime. Anna, I appreciate you doing this. This was really, really interesting. Of course. Thank you so much. Funny little story. Well, I think it's funny. My friend Richard got me a t-shirt a few months back and the t-shirt had on it, you guessed it, Liberty in North Korea. And after receiving that shirt, I learned more about the organization, the work they are doing, and ultimately it's what led to this conversation with Hannah. 
Now, the interesting thing about that shirt is the reactions that it provokes when people see you wearing it. So one night, I am at a Home Depot doing a late night run, getting a few final screws or whatever for a project that I'm working on. And the very kind woman who was at the register looked at me and kind of turned her head sideways a little bit, goes, Liberty in North Korea. To which we had a very long conversation where I recapped everything I knew, which was essentially everything you just heard in the interview because that's all I did know. But the conversation really ended up being about how she feels as though what's so important is that in the scope of these huge issues that we don't forget that we as individuals have a job to do. In other words, the Home Depot woman, and I wish I remembered her name, but she told me the importance of being the new activist. How cool is that? I hope that, like Hannah, we each have our own pear tree and a vision of what can be. If you would like to learn more about Liberty in North Korea, you can go to their website, libertyinnorthkorea.org. And they are on social media, both Twitter and Facebook, and they're very active. So you can chat with them and ask follow-up questions. Both of the handles for their social media are Liberty in NK. I'll also put all of this in the show notes in case you're at the gym or in the car right now. The New Activist is also on social media, and we love chatting with folks. It's actually been a really lovely part of the show, is getting to talk to people all week and hear ideas, some of them even contrasting ideas. I just, at least we're talking, and I love that. Our website is newactivist.is, newactivist.is, and our social media is newactivist.is, one word there, newactivist.is. The theme music for today's show was composed by Ether. You can hear more of his music at soundcloud.com forward slash Ether. And The New Activist was presented by International Justice Mission. IJM is working to end slavery in our lifetime and will not stop until all are free. If you would like to learn more about IJM and maybe even join our team, come and work with us. We are looking specifically for people that are very technology-minded. I won't even bother you with the description because it's probably better for you to just go to ijm.org forward slash careers and learn more about it. And with that, we go back into the world. On behalf of my colleagues at International Justice Mission, I'm Eddie Koffeltz. Take care, friends.